From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 659, Azure Governance with guest Primula Schmidt, recorded Tuesday, September 17th, 2019. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. My guest today is Pumala Schmidt, who is a senior cloud advocate at Microsoft focused on Azure, Azure governance and management, and hybrid environments for IT professionals. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Richard. Yeah, excited to talk to you. And this is one of those subjects that I think is only really becoming important now as we're seeing lots of folks getting onto Azure and kind of, I guess, getting into trouble. Is that a fair way to say? Like you've you've jumped on the bandwagon and now you're you're figuring out as an IT person how to manage it. Yeah, it's more like I I jumped in the pool and I forgot how to swim. Yeah, well, it, it reminds me of SharePoint back in the day where there'd just be a proliferation of SharePoint sites all throughout your network. And it's like, we kind of need to back these things up and make sure they're safe and reliable. And, you know, it's governance, right? Getting your hand around, we, you know, who can provision what, where things can go. Well, you tell a story. Like, what does, what does it look like to get control over your Azure? So governance, yeah, that is, uh, it's so broad. Mm-hmm. Because really, ideally, in a perfect world, it should start from the very beginning. Yeah. When you know, when you actually decide, hey, I'm I'm gonna go to the cloud. And I say the cloud as a general term. Right. It, it could be Azure, which I would love mm-hmm, <laughs> if it was Azure. But you know, it could be Google, it could be, you know, Amazon, or it could be any, you know, other service provider. Sure. But it starts at the very beginning. So when you make that decision, that's where you you start thinking, okay, how do I do this in a fashion that has some controls in place, just like my on-premises. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes, you know, it, it's like you said, we just, no one's thinking about that sure. because it's the cloud. Oh my God, it's so easy. I can spin up a VM in like in seconds, right? And I can have, oh, look, I just built an application in five minutes. It, it's so easy to do stuff. And because we can't physically touch it, can't see it, we can't feel it. It's really not ours. And so sometimes we forget that we need to still apply that same type of governance that we have on premises. I'm wondering if we don't know enough to even know what kind of trouble we're in when we first get involved with this. It seems like everyone goes in experiments first and then gets hooked on something and suddenly it's you're depending on it. Yes. So it, it often starts with... Uh, you know, developers, application teams, and we're going to test this. We're right. just going to test deploying something. Mm-hmm. And then oftentimes tests become pilots, POCs, and then they roll into production. And then then you go, oh my gosh, where, where's the governance? Because you probably got audited or, or your, you know, security officer came down and said, whoa, <laughs> it looks like Swiss cheese in there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it, it almost always starts with some type of testing and I, I don't want to sound like the party pooper here where, 
you know, you tell your your apps team and your development teams, you can't test in the cloud because that's that's just not the way. That's not very collaborative and, and it's it's very negative. I like to tell people enable and enable your different teams to work faster, right? Mm-hmm. So you know people are trying the cloud, they're they're trying different things. So take the approach of let's give people guardrails. Sure. So you so you so you know so you know we're gonna try Azure. First step, let's just create some basic access management instead of giving everybody global administrator because right. your your whole dev team does doesn't need global administrator. Well I mean you know, my argument per- be nobody doesn't did, either. Yeah my and, argument be nobody needs global administrator. Like that's that's the account of la- you know, this is just enough administration land here. You don't use that account except in emergency. There's, there's, very, very uh select few. Yeah. And I like to call them like your cloud team or your cloud architect team. Mm-hmm. And, Actually, in my prior life, before joining Microsoft, I was part of the cloud team, and and we literally picked leads from each of the infrastructure teams and and some of the the development teams, and we formed a, a cloud architect team. Right. And this team developed, you know, we came up with policies and, and procedures and whatnot. But and that's where you you need to start out very basic. Where, okay. Global administrator. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody, the whole team shouldn't have it. Mm-hmm. Limit a limited set. And then you go, okay, your development teams, what do they need access to? And then you either create a custom role or use a build-in role, which we have in Azure. Right. Uh, um, and then your operations team, th- same thing. Whoever needs access to Azure, you define a role for them. And that's that basically sets your I like to call it your your foundation, like you know the foundational layers of having good governance. You don't need to go full on, you know, have every single policy and procedure and standards right away, because if you do that, you are going to slow down the dev team, and they're going to hate you, and they're going to turn around and they're going to go to a different cloud provider, or you know what they're going to do? They're going to spin up another tenant on their own, right? A- and the joys of trying to migrate uh, cross tenant. Yeah, you don't want, you don't want to do that. It takes a lot of work and effort and lots of bottles of ibuprofen to get through <laughs> that. So, so let, let's 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 enable people. Let's we, let's enable these teams to do their job. Ba- basic access management, and then from there, you just start building upon that. So let's say I've jumped into Azure and now I've given people roles. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, start start by implementing policies now. And in the policies, I wouldn't start with restrictions. I would start with audits. Audits tend to be less intrusive. Right. They're just alerting you like, hey, you know, these storage accounts don't have encryption or MFA on them and everybody and their mother can access them from the outside. Right, right. Yeah. I'm getting an audit on that. That's awesome. If you place a policy that's a deny or a restriction, now, you've blo- now you're a roadblocker. And nobody wants to be a roadblocker because now those teams that are trying to do their job really fast and quick can't because IT just stopped them. We already have a bad rep to begin with, right? Right. IT doesn't let us do anything. And when we when we apply those restrictions right away, it's a negative. So start off with, you know, with audits. And then then you build upon that once you realize that, hey, 
you know, we, you deploy this app and it's got some holes in it. Let's, what can we do to fix this or, you know, to make sure we're compliant with whatever regulation that we have to follow. Right. Or just the idea that you know, this was an experimental site. Now you want to take it mainstream. Do mm-hmm. we know what its attack surface area is? Do we know what its restrictions are at? I don't even know that people even know at that point. Yeah. I mean, and this is where uh, my colleague, Tanya, mm-hmm. uh, comes into play. She's in AppSec development. Build your application secure. Think about security as you're in that development process. Because there's there's less work at the deployment stage. And then the, your infrastructure teams like myself, we're going to love you. Your network admins are going to love you. Your security team's going to love you. If you've already built security within the application, there's less for us to do. Yeah, that's now, still a lot of optimism, though. To do. There's, there's just less to do. Sure. And it is optimistic. I you know the security seems to be an afterthought to this day. There, yeah, and, and security is always, uh, not always, but oftentimes, they're roadblockers, too. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I, I'm, I'm going to... Uh, probably release some information here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if I wanted to delay a project, I, I would oftentimes pull security in right, just to help with the delay because they were always known to delay things. And right. if I knew there was a potential security risk here, e- e- easy, easily three months delayed right. pulling some from security in because they're going to do all their checks and balances. They're going to scan their, you know, all sorts of stuff. It just depends but, on how far they are down the path. Wait, as far yeah. as setting up all these accounts, should I be immediately going, if I'm using Active Directory internally, getting Azure AD, does that make my life simpler? Yes. Yes. I always recommend integrating any type of role-based access control with, with Azure Active Directory. Rather than creating yeah, more accounts for people to remember nope. or not nope. remember, as the case may be. Yeah. <sighs> Limit account creations in the portal itself, like just, it's going to make everyone's life easier. And from a security perspective, also a seamless uh, user experience perspective, utilizing your, your active directory, right? Azure E and, you know, syncing that with your on-premises or if you're just strictly in, in Azure. Yeah. You, and when you assign roles and access management, Take it the next level. So instead of just assigning it to a user, assign it to a security group. Put the user in the security group. Right. So now you've you've done. I don't want to call it like pure automation, but I call it pure poor man's automation. <laughs> so so when someone's onboarded, yeah, just add them depending on their role. Or, you know what what position they have. They're going to be put in certain groups already, right? Yeah, cloud resources have, is just going to come to them now because it's part of the onboarding process. Yeah, so if you if you say all my network engineers uh, you know, you have this role that only a network contributor role and we're going to use the Active Directory group network engineering for Azure or for cloud or something like that. Mm-hmm. So when that person is onboarded, they're going to get put in that network engineer security group you don't have to do anything on your end as a cloud administrator or Azure administrator because when they were onboarded, they were put into that security group. Boom! You're, it's it's a once and done thing. Once nice. you, you know, once you created that role, so that that's like that basic 
foundational layer. You don't even think about it. Yeah. And I want to get that in right away. Because if you start going down building new accounts and stuff in Azure, at some point, someone's going to say, why aren't we, why are we creating separate logins here? And you're going to have to roll all that back. Yes, De- definitely rolling. Uh, it, it's it's going to be a headache. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if you're building applications in Azure, definitely use, you know, uh, the service principles, which is basically a service account. Right. That, you know, it's, it, it is. Yeah, you can use, you know, you could probably use your, uh, your Active Directory accounts, but it, it's recommended to use service accounts and whatnot. That way it's, uh, I don't say I hate this term, but it's cloud native, right? Right. It's, it's built in the cloud. So you should be using the cloud services and, and you know, the respective uh, complementary services to it. Now, if you have an existing application that you lifted and shifted in, mm-hmm. that's a whole different story. Uh, that's probably like another three podcasts for that for lift and shift. <laughs> a little, little bit more. <laughs> I mean, can I just once it's at a virtual machine, I can just push that virtual machine in the cloud, and everybody's happy, right? Oh, <laughs> not entirely. I mean, yeah, because if you're existing application yes in in theory mm-hmm. you spin it up it's working if all the accounts are still alive and you're syncing your your on premises ad with right. azure ad it, it, yes in in theory it it will work does it work good i don't know you may have to optimize that virtual machine well, and i think but, this is also okay, where but, azure comes into play too cuz the azure ad b2c stuff beats the heck out of any other solution I've seen for having external people accessing your software. Like I'd want to go there for that. But there are certain scenarios where an application can't be refactored. Right. Right. I mean, the person that wrote it's probably long gone. I mean, there's, you always have that. And that's, and, and even with a lift and shift, you can still have governance. You know, you, you, you've got your, your RBAC mm-hmm. for the people who can access the VMs. And RBAC stands for? Role-based access control. Right. So, you, I mean, you can, you can still have that. And then inside the application, most likely, you're already going to have your existing security posture from when it was on-premises. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm going to make the assumption that on-premises, you had a governance plan. <laughs> But, you know, I'm just, I'm throwing it out there just in case you didn't. <laughs> um, you may find out through some, you know, Azure policy audits that it may not be entirely, you know, compliant. Well, let's be tr- clear here. It's not going to be. You're going to find things that have changed, right? We oh, wrote, oh, yeah. we wrote that IP plan two years right, ago. Right, there's one. Yeah. Th- th- things will change. So you're yeah. going you're gonna to have to still run audits against those machines that you have lifted and shifted into the environment. It, it, it and you will find things. Yeah. And actually I'm, I'm working on a, a demo, a presentation with that very scenario of migrating systems in and then running a check, r- running a scan through an Azure mm-hmm. policy initiative scan actually. And uh, you know, just identifying what uh, components are non-compliant? 
you know, IP addressing, uh, you know, your external IP addresses are exposed and systems, uh, you know, have exposed IP addresses and and things like that. Um, Storage accounts, you know, uh, all all sorts of stuff. And, And that's where you find out like, oh, wow. Yeah. I thought I was compliant on premises. I guess it wasn't completely. Maybe it wasn't, yeah. It sounds like, I mean, you also look at this as a huge opportunity to get a chance to review all of that, right? We're we're mm-hmm. introducing this new environment. We get to go over where our compliance is no longer matching because stuff has changed and where we, we had holes. We never did deal with that properly. And you can do all this without, I don't want to say without interruption, with mm-hmm. minimal interruption. As long as you you as long as you start off with non intrusive scans first, right? You know, non intrusive policies, do the audits, it, do and the then audits. once you determine where your holes are, then you go back, you work with the the teams to fill up the holes and run another, you know, and and continue to do the audits to make sure that okay, the, these holes are being plugged in, right? And, or that we know why this policy exists and why this is open. Just just sort of figuring out what the real surface area is of, of all the software and infrastructure you're running. So another issue with using cloud is cloud sprawl. Right. Just like, remember VM sprawl? When, yeah. when virtualization came <laughs> first in the play? Everybody was spinning up VMs. Oh, yeah, I need well, a VM. Everyone gets a VM. See, when I gave the developers self-service VMs for testing. Yeah, yeah. And the next thing you know, you're like, whoa, <laughs> where, where's all this come from? It's the same thing. Like you've just got resource groups and you've got subscriptions coming up and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, governance. Yeah. You can control what resources are actually being deployed. Like, you know, you, you create policies and say, okay, for this subscription in this resource group, only X type of VMs can deploy and, and these type of services can be deployed. Mm-hmm. You can, con- you can control that and then lock it down to specific role groups too. Absolutely. So let's say your dev, your dev team, you want them to be able to do their job, right? Without coming to you all the time. So you've given them access to deploy resources, but you don't want them spinning up VMs, you know, with gobs and gobs of, you know, um, Ram and, and running, premium ssd because that's just really cost effective no you (laughs) you want them to work be able to spin up vms that are within a certain price range right you know the the lower cost is because it's test right do you really need ssd you know premium ssd drives probably not you can get away with you know with your lower cost vm so you can you can control that That within an azure policy and you can control where the resources are being deployed at, which is a key thing for GDPR or any right. country that has data sovereignty. Yeah. Create a policy that says, hey, my dev team, I only want you deving in the US. Yeah. So you will let you set these are my allowed location. And then, you know, right right there. So now you've met compliance from a regulation standpoint, but now you met also governance from a cost savings perspective, cost management, because nobody cares about the budget until you care about the budget. I love it. Boom, I'm going to interrupt <laughs> yeah. for one moment here yeah. for this very important message. This episode of Run As is brought to you by SQL Intersection. Eight full-day workshops and over 40 technology-focused sessions make SQL Intersection a unique source of the best information for SQL Server from real-world consultants and members of the SQL Server team. 
You'll learn proven problem-solving techniques and technologies you can implement immediately, as well as learn about the future of SQL Server. Get answers to performance monitoring, troubleshooting, designing for scale and performance cloud, as well as the new features in the latest version of SQL Server 2019. It's time to determine your migration strategy, and SQL Intersection is the place to figure out the best way to do it. Come to SQL Intersection at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, November 18th to 21. Use code RUNAS to get a discount on your registration at SQLintersection.com. See you there. And we're back. This is Run As Radio. I'm Richard Camel. That's Pumala Schmidt. And we're getting to the meat and nitty gritty now, I think, of governance, which is this cost control aspect. If I give these folks self-service to create new VMs, it's costing us money now. Like they, those things show up in the bill. It's uh, real money. Yeah, it's yeah. real dollars. It's very clear. It's no longer it's your hardware sitting in Iraq and they're just making it run slow because they've they've propagated VMs all over the place and it's already been paid for. Now it's billed by the month. Are there mechanisms in there for me to be able to bill to the teams? Can I break this stuff down? So that that's actually a really good question. So we have the, our cost management tool that allows you to set budgeting and you can analyze your, your you know, your bills, but really it starts with the infrastructure side, right? Mm -hmm. Allowing who can create what items or what resources, but then tagging. Because now that you've tagged resources properly, you know who to bill, you know, <laughs> who, you know which departments owns that resource and sure. they can be billed accordingly in your, your chargebacks because with the cloud, it's easier to charge back than back in the virtualization, you know, the VMware days, I, I remember managing, oh, we're going to charge back these VMs. Right. Yeah. The, the, the idea was awesome. Yeah. Very, very hard to charge back. Cloud, easy to charge back because now I'm going to tag every resource. You know, let's say uh, dev team one, all their resources, I can create a policy that actually says when this resource, a resource in this resource group when it's created, it's going to tag with this cost center. Mm -hmm. Boom. So now every time a resource is created, it gets a tag on it with a cost center or a department, whatever way you want to, you know, reflect your billing. And and it's gonna have it's gonna have that tagging. The tagging can then be reported on in the cost management tool. So now you're like, oh, all tags with, you know, uh, app team one. This is all that they're using. Oh, you know. They can take a look and go, yeah, this, this team's really using a lot of resources. Now, if they're making a lot of money, why not, right? Like, they, I would hope you also tie that into the revenue streams for each of the, the tool sets that they're using. Because you could easily see, wow, these guys cost a lot of money. We should cut them back. When it's like, that's how this whole company makes their money. Yeah, it, yeah so, it, so with the cost management, and, he, and just in budgets and analysis, it's it's also about it's about letting them do their jobs, but doing it within a way that's controlled and what's the word I want to use um, within budgets within right. guardrails. We're giving them guardrails. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if if you do have resources that are consuming more dollars, more money. Mm -hmm. You could be alerted on that. Yeah. And now you take a look and go, hmm, what's going on here? Because last month, my cost wasn't this high. But in the month, I've gone, I've doubled my cost. Yeah. 
you can actually go back and look, what was our change management? Did we deploy a patch? Did we change the code? Because you can actually determine if a co- there's bad code based off cost. Too. Right. You know, if you, if you deployed new code or an update within that month, yeah, you can look back and go, yeah, we, we put a patch out or we, we changed something. And now all of a sudden, you know, our, our usage has increased. So it, it, it not only from a cost savings perspective, but it could determine if you've got bad code yeah, or some, there's some, something else is going on you, in the environment. I mean, it could be you've introduced a new feature and people are using it a lot and it's actually making you a bucket load of money, but it's consuming a lot more Azure. And so you're going to get those cost warnings, but it might be correlated to yes. you know, something that people are really excited about. I lo- and I love that you're not cutting anything off here. You're just instrumenting so that before the bill arrives at the end of the month, we're already getting a notice. It's like this area that used to consume this much is now consuming this much more. Yes. We've got all sorts of reporting on that with the cost mm-hmm. management. Uh, it, it, but there is the ability to actually shut down as well to which uh, I'm always hesitant to shut things down automatically. Uh, I've been burned (laughs) this life lessons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just when you think nobody is using that old, you know, VM or that old machine, they haven't touched it in eight months. No one's accessed it. And the the day you turn that off, you know, someone's going to come around and go, I need to have that. Yeah. Where did that go? Yeah, I need to run a report, you know, for payroll. Right. And you're like, really? (laughs) (laughs) And and this, you know. (laughs) Let's go see where our backups are at. Yeah, I've I've lived this scenario already. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, wow. Yeah. So very hesitant to just shut things off. Yeah. Alerts are awesome. Just Uh, let me know if anybody you know, so I can set up an alert to say if anybody uses this. You can set alerts uh, if systems are idle too. Mm-hmm. Like a, you know, if when you look at so when you look at your uh, the cost management tool and the the resource utilization, you could see utilization wise. Mm-hmm. Okay, hmm, it's kind of low. Yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna trigger something for you. Yes, uh, and the same thing with um, high expenditures to high high utilization. So there's a lot you can do there with the cost management uh, feature within Azure. And part of this instrumentation, can I also figure out that we've undersized a VM, that maybe we should be giving it more resources? Yes. Uh, if Yeah. If you are looking at the – and that's where the Azure monitoring comes into play, mm-hmm. uh, log analytics, uh, sort of like SCCM days. Right. You know? <laughs> That that the the monitoring there. That's where you're going to look at your uh, utilization and say, "Hmm, yeah, this this VM's being pegged pretty hard." Uh, you know, li- like your virtualization days, where you know you're looking at VCOPS or VCOPS or yeah. whatever you want to call it. Uh, yeah, and, and you know you can tell a, a trend that resources are on that particular VM is just being consumed. That's more and more and more. Uh, yeah. The Azure monitoring would do that for you. Again, that's governance. Yeah. Too. Yeah. That you're, you're, everything is right sized, both too small and too big. So just but that also, idea. um, policies, guest configurations. Mm-hmm. So there, there's components within the Azure monitoring that do that as well. So, and, and actually, 
the Azure monitoring piece does more than just Azure. It can actually monitor your on-premises environment. It's interesting. And, and also AWS. What? Because it's a VM, right? Right, it's just right. A VM. It's just it's virtual machines. Server. It's just, and it's just using the desired state configuration. Oh, interesting. Yes. So yeah, you can, you doesn't really matter what you're monitoring then. So you start to build this console around, uh, uh, around all of your infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, on premises in the cloud, because what you're doing is you're just installing, uh, an extension, you know, a, a guest configuration, um, extension. And for on premises, it's the desire. DSC, desired state configuration. Yeah, I haven't. We haven't talked about this in a while. I mean, usually, we talked about it in the context of PowerShell, but is there a specific DSC for Azure these days? It's it 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 actually is based off that. Yes. Okay. The, the Azure model. It. So for on premises, you would actually need a a these just PowerShell desired state configuration mm -hmm. server machine, but with there is a service in Azure that I can actually replace that. There's a whole, again, that's another podcast as well, the actual <laughs> configuration setup of it. We actually, you know, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, do a shout out to the Microsoft Ignite the Tour yeah. learning path sessions. We actually have sessions on that. Like, nice. Uh, there's an hour long session that, that just talks about monitoring your environment whether it's Azure or hybrid, um, you know, we go through the different scenarios uh, by, you know, installing the extension and then looking at your log analytics and, and all that good stuff. I, I um, actually presented that a couple of times. Uh, my team is actually responsible for creating that learning path. Nice. And we create, we created uh, the governance sessions as well and migrating uh your you know migrating your infrastructure to Azure, and also we're working on uh, upgrading your uh, servers as mm -hmm. well to Server twenty nineteen. Upgrading all your old two thousand eights because I know they're still out there running. You know they are. January fourteen twenty twenty is going <laughs> to come real quick, people. Real quick. <laughs> Yeah. Faster you know, than you faster than you realize. Yeah, we have a lot. It's really hard. 2008 is a lot of stuff. It's time to move up. And, and so if you're still running 2008, you have to January 14, 2020 mm -hmm. before end of support ends and there's no more updates. There is an option to do a lift and shift into Azure and you get an additional three years. Interesting. Only only three years though. Right. That's it. It's basically your your life support. Yeah. For you, it gives you time to figure out what you're going to do from an upgrade path. You know, do you have to refactor the application? You know, whatever. There's something there that you. There's something that's holding you back from upgrading. So, you you lift and shift that server into Azure, and it gives you an additional three years. Time, time to get it migrated onto a later operating yes. system. Yeah, it's a Band-Aid. Yeah. It's all those people, it's a Band-Aid. That's fair. Uh, and so there's another application. There's actually a lot of our products that are going end of life in January. Mm -hmm. Exchange, Exchange Goddess. You Ex are Exchange, Exchange Goddess. 2010 was supposed to be on that same uh, deadline, but yesterday... Greg Taylor <laughs> tweeted out that, hey, we've extended to October. So, yes, for all the exchange peeps out there, they're still running Exchange 2010. 
You've been given an additional lifeline till October, but that doesn't mean you sit on, you know, the upgrade. You need to figure out what you're going to do, have a plan, either get to Office 365 or upgrade to Exchange 2019, right? Or at least 2016. You got you got to do something. Yeah, we gave you a lifeline. Yeah, but it's, but it October is going to come even sooner. So. Wow. I had to just throw that out there. Yeah, no, it, it's, that, it's interesting to see the uh, the exchange goddess appear. Yeah, I saw that yesterday. I was like, oh wow, that's big news. <laughs> We're extending end of support to yeah. October. That's really and, something. And you know, people are going to go, oh well, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good to October. No, no. <laughs> we, you 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 need to you need to start working on your migration plan. And, and for all you server two thousand eight people, you should be doing something right now. Either have a plan or looking to lift and shift, which is a plan. You've, you've got to do something. You cannot be left uh, not getting updates. And if you choose to go that path, I would highly recommend you take the server off the internet. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's bad governance. That's no toys about that. Uh, yeah. But, well, bad security posture. Yeah. So, Pumala, where do people get started if they've... You know, they've discovered that one of their departments has moved into Azure and now they're being expected to, to put some governance around it. You know, I'm painting all the worst scenarios. Uh, for an IT person, given that requirement, is there a good starting place? So for an IT person that doesn't know anything about Azure whatsoever, I highly recommend going to our MS Learn. And MS Learn is a free learning portal that we launched last year at Ignite. And literally, it's, it's free. And you mm-hmm. go through these learning modules. Uh, and it's a, it's a sandboxed environment. You don't even need a credit card for it. It, it, it just takes you through the steps on um, creating some policies, doing some RBAC. I mean, it's, it's going to give you a chance to manage and, you know, and play around to learn right? before you actually go into your environment. So that, that's the first place I recommend is if you don't know anything, go to MS Learn, go through some of the modules, get familiarized, and then test, test, test. Play yeah. around with it, you know, get, get comfortable, and then start going, okay, we got these teams out there. If they're not in your Azure tenant, work with your account teams to get them moved over to your tenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, that should be the first step because most likely if they've already started going out and doing their own thing, shadow ID, you know, spinning up their own different Azure tenants guaranteed there's no governance involved. So you want to get everything under one umbrella in the meantime, get access to those tenants and, and do some basic auditing with Azure policies. There's, we have, hundreds of, of policies that you can run to do some audit checks just to at least have an idea of what's wrong, what the holes are. And then as, as you determine how you're going to migrate that data or the applications into the new, you know, your enterprise tenant, you could also work with the apps team, the developers and say, we found these holes. So before we move them into, you know, the enterprise tenant, here's what we need to do. So that, and that, that's, that's what I would do. And that's, you know, what we recommend, like, you know, I would highly recommend it is 
do those basic audits. And then once you're into your enterprise tenant, obviously keep the audits running and then see what holes you've, you know, closed up. Yeah. And then we've got Azure Blueprint. So once you've got everything for the most part governed, uh, it's going to take you a little bit. Blueprints is like a template of governance, right? So you create your policies, you create your RBAC, you, you know, you're like, oh, this is cool, right? I've got some governance. But when you are growing at scale now, you've got new subscriptions coming up because you're at a pace where you can, you're, you're growing, you want to be able to apply that governance quickly. Right. So you use blueprints, Azure Blueprints, and you're basically stamping governance onto these subscriptions. Nice. So as subscriptions are coming up, all that stuff that you've worked so hard on, you're supplying it to a, you know, you create a subscription, your artifacts are your policies that you've determined that you need, your your RBAC, your role-based access control, um, you know, subscription owners, you can lock resources, you, you so you create this template and then you publish it and then you assign it to subscription. So then when resources are being created now in these new subscriptions, they're automatically going to have governance applied to them. Right. It's so just boom. Fi- following know? our audit rules, following our, our security uh, uh, policies, all those things are just defined in the blueprint. Yeah. So it's the orchestration automation of, of your, your governance at scale and, and, Small shop, if you've only have one or two subscriptions, mm-hmm. uh, blueprints probably isn't really efficient for you. Uh, they're great, but if you're not going to really grow, uh, you, you, you might be better off just working in policies, right? Your larger shops, definitely. Blueprints is where is where you're really going to work more efficiently. Right. Yeah, it's, as soon as it gets to scale in any way, you're gonna you're gonna want that because it's gonna it, it's gonna be a pain because you're gonna be like now I'm being bogged down by constantly applying policies and whatnot and, and you know and if you're delaying the developers now you're a roadblocker again right oh my god IT won't let us do our you know our stuff in the cloud yeah so by utilizing blueprints. Boom! They're, you're not a roadblocker. You are an enabler, right? For them to do their jobs. You're all we're doing is applying guardrails. You're giving them guardrails. Yeah, awesome, Pumala. I'm I'm awed. This is great stuff. I feel I've got a list of links here, like places I want to get started and just get a handle on a propagating Azure infrastructure. Thank you so much for this. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Fun, and it sounds like if you get if it ignite the tour stop is near you, this is a good place to go and. And get some conversations around governance as well. Yes, governance, hybrid management, uh, machine learning. We've got all sorts of stuff, stuff going on. We're going to be in 32 cities, I believe, around the world. Two of them are in the U.S., Chicago and Washington, D.C. We do have Toronto as a, as a North American city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Mexico City. And then the rest are, um, it actually kicks off in Paris after Ignite Orlando. So it's Orlando, and then we go straight into Paris, Tokyo, and Beijing. And how many of these are you going to do? I'm only doing six cities this year. (laughs) That's that's a lot of travel. It it, it is, but we can't can't do all this. It's it's just, it's too much. Well, 30 is a whole year, right? Like, that's your life. 
No, that's actually so that so we start right after Microsoft Ignite Orlando, right. uh, the second week of November, and it actually ends the last week of April. Wow! So it's just the first first few months of the of twenty twenty. That's a tremendous amount. Well, I'm glad you're going to get to do a few, but boy, it uh, it's a lot. Yeah. So definitely, if you're you know if we're coming to a city near you, it's free. Definitely, you know, register, stop by, and see us. You know, we're we're going to be talking all good, you know, all good stuff with Azure management and governance, uh, hybrid, migrations, you name it. It's, it's all going to be good stuff. Awesome. Puma Schmidt, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio.